A quick note before we start the show. We will be off tomorrow for the New Year holiday and the next episode will be out on Monday. We wish you a happy and safe 2021. Now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. Every year after the results of class 10 and 12 are announced, the students who top their boards get a lot of news coverage. They are interviewed by newspapers and television channels about how they did it. How did they manage to score the highest marks in an exam that millions of students gave? What was their method? What can other students learn from them? And what do they plan to do next? Based on the results of these examinations, their future does appear secure. But what does the future hold for them? What do these toppers end up doing after finishing school? And who really gets to be a topper? To what extent does your gender, caste and city affect your results? This is what an Indian Express investigation set to find out. The investigation undertaken by Ritika Chopra, who reports on education for the paper, looked at what happened to 86 of India's national school board toppers. to answer these questions in this episode we speak to ritika about what exactly this investigation revealed she begins by telling us where the idea for this investigation came from so this idea was first discussed in the newsroom in the year 2016 which was almost 4 years ago the brief was simple we thought that maybe we should just try and track down the past board toppers to figure out what happens after graduation once they are out of school because we have this academic convention which we celebrate three or four of them every year you find their faces on front pages but we don't really know what happens after we thought it would be interesting to see what are the consequences of this convention that we have ritika had started work on this but because of the sheer scale of it had to abandon it at first this was especially considering the pressures of daily reporting and the fact that there is no one place where you can simply find the names of all the toppers she says that you have to do that piece by piece you can do that by revisiting newspaper archives pull out names from there but there's again a problem with that because there are inconsistencies between different news reports of different newspapers you know the names are different and this happens because the boards officially have this policy of not declaring toppers but unofficially reporters do find out from their sources and then you know stories are made out of that ritika says that at that time even putting a sample size together was tough so the project was shelved but this year after the pandemic hit while there were restrictions on movement and things slowed down a bit she decided to revisit the project she started with it in july and at first she thought it would only take her about a month to do it but it soon became obvious that the challenges in front of her were many the most challenging bit to me was to put that sample together i thought okay fine you know let me if i get say about 42 for each year that would be decent amount of time that we would have covered and uh, a decent sample size too initially i again went back to newspaper archives but like i told you there were certain years where i didn't have any names at all I kind of gave that up and I realized that even if I did take names from media reports it may not be completely accurate. 
So that's when I decided that, you know, maybe I should try and tap my sources in the two national boards, which is uh, CISC and CBSC, and see if we, I can get authentic information from these two boards itself. But even getting those officers to part with that data was really challenging. And it was only after a month and a half of chasing that she finally managed to put a database together. We had 86 names with us, of which majority of those names, almost 62 of them, were students who came from schools affiliated to the CISC board. And about 24 of them came from schools affiliated to CBSC. I do want to point out why we don't have an equal number of students from each of the boards. That is because uh, CISE has digitized its data going back to the 70s. They have all of their data online. And they were able to provide us with data for all the years between 95 and 2015. When I approached the CBSE, their data, uh, at least the digitized data, goes back only till 2004. They are in the process of digitizing it further. Since my target was to get authentic data, as far as CBSE is concerned, we could get data only for starting from the year 2004 to 2015, which is why we had 24 students who were topped class 10 and 12 exams of the CBSE board. After she got the names of these 86 toppers, the challenge then was to actually track them down, which to her surprise turned out to be a much bigger hurdle than she had anticipated. Like, not everyone was on social media, and even if they were, they weren't checking it so often. So that's when I decided, I said, okay, fine, this would take longer than I had imagined, but I didn't want to abandon this given that I had made some progress. So I decided, let me try and reach out to these schools individually now. And let me request their principals to see if there's any way that they can put me in touch with their parents or maybe the students themselves. Not everybody was very forthcoming. They were like, you know, we're not sure. We don't know who you are. Why would you want these details? So that took a lot of convincing. Again, I found, say, about a few of them through this route. When that failed, I reached out to uh, alumni associations of different schools. Some helped her, others didn't. Though in this process, she also tried to get in touch with some parents, some of whom were still protective of their kids who by now had turned 30 and were hesitant about giving out their information. When talking about tracking down these students, she recounts a funny incident when she was trying to find out more about this ICSE topper. At that time, all she had was a name, a year, and the school. The school wasn't helpful and didn't have an alumni association. And so she was stuck. But then one day, while searching for names, she came across a doctor from the Harvard Medical School in the US. I remember I was on the internet and I just randomly found the name of a doctor in the US and I was and the only thing that they had in common was the name. That's it. I didn't know if he was from the same school. So I was like, okay, fine, you know what? He's in the US and this was close to midnight. I was like, it's the right time. Maybe I should just make a cold call to the Harvard Medical School and let me try and reach out to this guy and ask him if he's the same person. When she called the hospital, a woman picked up and Ritika tried to tell her who she was and what she was looking for. I still remember I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm this journalist. I'm calling from India. And she was like, let me stop you right there. Uh, uh, honey, you've called the US, you know, and you're, you're telling me you're from India now. And then I tried explaining this to her. Then I've launched this manhunt for this person who had topped a national exam about 25 years ago. And I think one of your staff doctors is that same guy. 
and then there's just silence at the other end for a couple of seconds she's like wait a minute are you trying to say that our doctors that same guy you seem to have you know she repeated everything i said and i said yeah that's correct and she's like oh my god this is so interesting i must help you because even i'm curious and i want to know if this is the same guy at one point she was like okay, you know what i'm going to quickly run across to the next block because that's where he is and i could even hear her running and then there's this constant narration that she was giving me okay now he's walking towards me hang on don't hang up i'm going to ask him and she handed over the phone to him and luckily i think i was pretty lucky it was that guy of course it took me a month to find out who and where he was and that was just one example out of the 86 so needless to say her investigation took a while a total of 4 months but even after tracking and contacting all the people most of them through email she still needed them to fill out a long questionnaire so the next next step was to reach out to them to collect the data points that i had decided that i wanted to collect you know their name their age their do a social audit of sorts you know their family background their education qualifications where they're currently working if they employed studying and if yes then where that is what i had to do i had a spreadsheet slowly as and when people started getting back and this all all of it didn't happen together while i sent out all the emails over a period of say a week the answers were kind of coming back in at different times every time there was a new email or a new whatsapp message or a new phone call you know i would just kind of diligently sort of fill those details into my spreadsheet once she put all the data points together on the spreadsheet she realized that it had certain broad trends of course so what we found which is something we've led with in our first part of the three part series is that more than half of these boat toppers were actually living overseas and the us was their destination of choice and that most of them were in science and technology and the iits were a favored undergraduate pit stop for them another interesting thing was more than half of these people came from outside metropolitan cities they they came from tier 2 and tier 3 towns there was not a single dalit or tribal from this pool sample which again was quite surprising for me the other thing that was surprising to her was the gender gap in the trajectories of these stoppers we know the burden of gender exists this is something that we've known for a while but somehow in my head i thought this bias or the burden of gender at least the female toppers would not experience it i don't know why i thought that i thought probably since you know these men and women are equally capable and they have done well in high school so maybe when it came to opportunities you know that probably would not play up at that level or not in this cohort itself but i was wrong and for these men and women who to me were equally talented somehow if you were a girl topper you were much less likely to move overseas like i said that you know i was adding data bit by bit to my spreadsheet and i did notice that every time i spoke to a girl you know and when i was jotting down their educational details or where they're working i do remember talking to one of my editors and i said that you know i i don't know i still haven't got all of my data together but i i get a feeling that somehow i find more of these women staying back in india i don't know if this points to anything but it's it's interesting to me i mean why is it that i see more of these men moving abroad and among women a majority of them are still here or at least less likely to move abroad so just to recap more than half of the 86 toppers now lived overseas and out of these there were more men than women then more than half of the toppers came from outside metropolitan cities and there was not a single dalit or tribal on this list when talking about these students going abroad 
Ritika says that most had left the country to pursue higher education. So over 70% of those currently living abroad, I noticed that they had left to pursue either the undergraduate or postgraduate studies there. And only about a dozen uh, of those who are currently there went to take up a job. So when I reached out to these people and I asked them, okay, you, you left the country. Why did you, you know, why did you do so? I mean, did you feel that the higher education institutions here were not good enough? The common consensus was, first of all, all most of these people are in the STEM sector. STEM sector, of course, being the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. They said that, you know, when it comes to teaching, teaching in India is comparatively as good, if not better. But when it comes to research, there is barely any funding and somehow research, especially in the US, in the STEM sector, is very well funded. That is a big, big draw for them, people who want to work and who want to pursue research in this sector. So for me, this was the main reason, the lack of a research ecosystem in the country, which is one of the main reasons why a lot of these students who wanted to pursue advanced degrees in the STEM sector left. Because they felt that at that point, there weren't enough or research opportunities and research here wasn't well funded. So which is why they left. While talking about their experience of moving abroad, many of them told Ritika that while the culture in India of getting marks had helped them with self-discipline, it was only when they were overseas that they realized that they didn't have a lot of skills they needed. For instance, for one topper, he shares to them and I remember he was like, you know, when I went to university to pursue a high degree, he said, I just realized that uh, my communication skills were so weak. You know, I, I did pretty well for textbook problem. But when it came to out of the box creative thinking, he's like, I did find myself stumbling. If you can imagine if for somebody who's made to believe that they're good and they're the best. You know, once you're outside of that bubble or the outside of that ecosystem, you realize that, you know, there are so many things that you probably should have known and you don't know. So he just gave this very small example. He said that, you know, we were working on this project. We were in a group. I just could not communicate my ideas and it didn't work out well for him. He's like, because I was supposed to kind of make a presentation on behalf of that group. And he said, I couldn't communicate my ideas. And, and you know, we lost a lot of points. And I looked at my peers from other uh, countries and I realized that they were so much better at expressing themselves and working better in groups. This is something that others pointed out to her as well, that they hadn't been taught how to collaborate, a skill which is needed in most professions, no matter where you are. Another topper, her name is Anika Agrawal. To her, she was like, you know, I frankly, if you ask me, I don't remember anything that I studied in class 10. The whole objective was to mug up and dish out these facts during an examination. She's like, but I don't remember any of it. None of us worked on real world issues and problems. These are some of the issues that they had where they felt that, you know, their education in school stuck to textbooks and it did not promote creative thinking. It did not promote collaborative work. There are certain social emotional skills that maybe they could have learned or picked up in school, but they didn't because the priorities of the Indian education system of schools is very different and that necessarily may help while this may help you succeed in school itself you may not have a decent skill set to actually succeed in life this is something that they had to pick up once they were outside of school now like mentioned earlier one thing that had stood out in the list was that there was no Adivasi or Dalit on the list of toppers something that had again surprised Ritika one can say that probably, you know, for the ICSE schools, which are mostly private and cater to a certain maybe privileged section of the society, it's self-selecting. So maybe 
that's why you didn't find people from uh, these backgrounds but it was surprising to me because you know cbsc affiliates a lot of government schools as well i mean all your kendra vidyalayas all your navodaya vidyalayas are affiliated to the central board of secondary education and i couldn't find in fact the only one minority obc candidate was from uh the cbsc board and he had topped the cbsc exam in 2012 and then we had also sought information uh with regard to their family income at the time when they topped the exam and i think just about five of them said that they were first generation learners and just one said that uh, his father actually earned less than a lakh around the time when he topped the exam which is over 15 years ago all these things to her pointed to the fact that there is a connection between privilege and academic achievement and that you know somehow there is an inequality of opportunity i frankly don't know whether one should blame the the society the ecosystem i mean there could be many reasons there can't be one reason for this but there was definitely a connection between privilege and academic achievement that emerged out of this study given that an overwhelming majority were from the general category and overwhelming majority came from families which earned more than 5 lakh per annum that these students who came from uh, financially sound backgrounds probably had a better chance of excelling in school and rising to the top that was the takeaway for me and now we talk about the gender gap that is clear from the fact that not only fewer women moved overseas to study as we discussed earlier but also that women were less likely to pursue an advanced degree so there was the gender gap at the research level there were fewer women than men pursuing a phd and again there were fewer women studying in the stem stem sector or pursuing a job in the stem sector so these were the major findings with regard to gender gap that i found during the investigation the gender gap in education particularly in undergraduate science education has been there in india for some time now though this gap has been progressively been reducing according to the 2018 edition of the all india survey on higher education for the first time there were as many women as men in bsc programs also their presence at masters level was the highest ever Though when it comes to jobs in the field of science, the gender gap continues to remain wide. During the investigation, Ritika had asked women whether they had faced any obstacles. And of course, a lot of them to this question requested anonymity. I mean, not everyone wanted to go on record because this obviously meant that they would be speaking out against their family. But a lot of them, especially those in the science sector, they said that you know we we face this constant. if not family then societal pressure to get married and once you get married then all your priorities are reconfigured you know you cannot devote as much time as you probably could to your academic or professional aspirations and uh, interestingly of all the people of all the men who responded to my question and nobody spoke of of this need to balance family obligations with career or to balance family obligations with with academic aspirations at least nobody said this up front while there were many women who did say this on the condition of anonymity that look there is pressure to get married even if your family supports you you know there is this ecosystem of this extended family which is constantly you know putting this pressure on you and even if you decide to brave that pressure there is this cost to it you know it does take a mental toll it puts you through a lot of stress and all of that does affect your overall performance sometimes 
Ritika says that many of them still continue to face that pressure while pursuing a career. Some said that you know it's a lot of conditioning. I just end up choosing career paths where I feel that I will not come into conflict with with men or career paths which are probably seen to be more women friendly. Per se, so there there are these subtle pressures which are constantly at play, which do actually end up you know gender does end up influencing your career and your academic choices. What I realized, which to me was counterintuitive, like I mentioned earlier, I thought that. these women probably will escape the gender the burden of gender but they a lot of them didn't you know i mean of course to, by the way to be sure it's not a boohoo story really because they all are still doing well but they at the same time do confess that you know the pressures that they face leads to a lot more of them not pursuing research the other thing that stood out when it came to the gender gap was that the majority of women in the toppers list came from metropolitan cities but this trend was opposite for men 62 or 63% of the women came from taiwan cities and a similar proportion around 62 63% of the men came from tier 2 and 3 cities from smaller towns and cities i do remember discussing this with poonam batra who is a professor of education at delhi university i mean she said that look you know first of all footnote that you know the sample size is small and let us not make sweeping generalizations based on this but in order to understand any trend you know it's important to view it through the gender lens and even this trend it's possible to kind of see this through the gender lens because we all know that in smaller towns and cities you know women are probably disadvantaged they don't have the same kind of access to education even if they have that access to education maybe they don't have the access to say extra classes or study material as men do and maybe in in an underprivileged family if one had to decide who got educated it was probably the boy in the family who got educated so this she said possibly could explain why you at least as far as our investigations concerned why we found that a larger proportion of women came from big cities and towns while when a majority of the male toppers came from smaller towns and this could possibly point to the inequality in opportunities that women in smaller towns and cities face and which probably maybe prevents them from coming up or doing as well as their male counterparts are concerned apart from these highlights one other thing that ritika came across during the investigation was that there was no topper from the arts or humanities stream ritika says that there could be many reasons for it like maybe art subjects aren't as scoring as the science ones or because in india people want to keep their options open and so they choose science instead a lot of people in india at least and probably that's the reason why a lot of them come from the, that you study science to keep your options open because how it works at the undergraduate level is that you know if you're a science student you can seek admission to a science program at the undergraduate level as well as the arts and humanities but it's not the other way around so if an arts and humanities student for obvious reasons you not be able to study science so a lot of these students said that you know i, I remember one who had studied law in mangalore she said that you know i studied science because i wanted to keep my options open and eventually after class 12 i realized that no maybe i want to pursue law and and given that these law schools do accept science students so it made sense for me to do that because i didn't want to kind of limit my options when we look at the sample size chosen for the investigation as mentioned before the toppers are largely from cbse icsc and isc boards and we asked ritika whether the trends that we see here could change if samples were taken from different state boards and she says that that could happen 
given the profile of families that usually end up sending their kids to these schools, CIC affiliates private schools and uh, it's a private board. And the CBSC affiliates private schools as well as government schools. Like I mentioned, the central schools run by the Ministry of Education. All of them are affiliated to Central Board of Secondary Education. And majority of your government schools in the country, which are run by state governments, are affiliated to the state boards. So again, there is this stark difference between the family profiles. So I'm presuming, again, there would be differences, again, in terms of opportunities there would be inequality of opportunity. So I, I am speculating. This is the feedback that we've also received after this series got out, why people appreciated what we've done. They said that it would be nice to actually also see how the state board toppers are doing because, again, a lot of people feel that maybe our results would be quite different. But that, of course, requires a separate investigation and would be worth looking into, she says. This investigation, however, makes it clear once again that there is a clear connection between privilege and academic achievement, that women continue to face obstacles because of their gender, which affects their career and education, and that the state of higher education in India continues to drive students away to other countries. This investigation also comes at a time when India has put in place a new national education policy, one that hopes to discourage rote learning, promote creative thinking, and at the same time, impart 21st century skills to these students. But will it really be able to do that? Ritika says that we will really just have to wait and see what happens. Because we've been talking about moving away from rote learning. We've been talking about redesigning our, you know, examination systems to test ability instead of your memory. We've been talking about this. We've been having these conversations for way too long. And this is not the first policy document also that talks about it. This was there in the NCF. This was there in the last last new education policy as well. So I think it's best to wait and watch because implementation is a real challenge here. All of these ambitious goals that the new education policy has set out, a lot of this cannot be accomplished without adequate investment. You will have to train your teachers you do to actually implement these changes. Training requires money, training requires resources. So it's not good enough to have a well-intentioned document. Implementation is key. Implementation is a challenge here. And I guess we will only know five or maybe a decade from now whether how successful this policy is. In fact, a lot changes with the change in government too. So there are too many factors at play. In theory, on paper, this document is trying to address these issues. But given that we've had these conversations, attempts have been made, policy decisions have been taken, things have rolled back. Even when they've been taken, they haven't been implemented properly. So I don't really have an answer to this because one will have to wait and see whether this policy is that successful, whether it can actually address any of those gaps. You were listening to Three Things by The Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, with the help of Archita Raghu and was edited and mixed by Anant Nath Sharma. If you like the show, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at indianexpress.com. 